talk about praising tonight. I think we got a lot of good reason to praise the Lord tonight. This morning was so, uh, so wonderful, and again, the auditorium was just really, it, it looked good, packed out, and people walked the aisle, got saved, and uh, you had your friends, your family, and neighbors with you, and man, it was wonderful. It was just exciting, and I don't know if you were, you, maybe you were uh, somewhere else teaching or doing something with the other kids. We had our bus promotion as well, and uh, you know, that was going on at the same time. And so there was a lot of great things happening. I don't know how many people. I'm sure there was a number of youngsters that got saved down in our other buildings. And uh, so it's exciting. It's exciting to see what God's still doing today. And, uh, you know, he's not dead. He is alive and well. And uh, we have so many things to be thankful for. Luke chapter 19. Let's turn there very quickly. We're going to take just a few moments. I'm not going to spend a lot of time tonight. I know many of you are probably a little weary. I know some of you are out picking up people today, and you took them out for lunch, and you've had a long day, and that's wonderful, and that's exciting. And so I I don't want to keep you all night, but I do want to share just a simple thought with you, and uh, we'll see how it goes, okay? Luke chapter 19, verse 35. I went home today, and I just kind of thought, wow, man, that was good. You know, I was excited about it, and uh, I enjoyed that. And And my one son said to me, he said, he said, boy, I, th- I think that was so good. You know, uh, it, it, it's good for the church when, when we have days like that. You know, it, it, it's good. And I said, boy, it sure is good for me, too. I, I like it, you know. That was good stuff. It was neat. You know, we were up in the teachers' meeting earlier, and, uh, and, and all of a sudden one of the teachers said, hey, what are we going to do about this parking thing? And I was like, man, I forgot about that one detail. Everything else was pretty much in place. We were good to go. I'd been planning it, preparing it. And it was like, oh, no. So then we got to praying. We decided to turn our our meeting into a prayer meeting this morning instead of maybe doing kind of what we normally do. Uh, But uh, after we we were praying, the Lord just gave me this idea. Just boom. And so it got handled. And everything turned out fine. We had enough parking and everything turned out good. And and, uh, our teachers and our Sunday school uh, attendees, everybody stepped up, got it done. Uh, Some of you down there moved your cars. We just, I mean, it was just, it was like a machine, you know what I mean? It was just moving, you know what I mean? And uh, that was awesome. And so I appreciate all the efforts and just the flexibility. That was good. All right, Luke chapter 19, verse 35. Notice what it says here. It says, and they brought him to Jesus, and they, uh, they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Isn't that good? Don't you love that? Well, tonight I just want to share three simple thoughts. I'm not going to waste any time even with an intro. We're going to get right into it. But I want to share three thoughts tonight that I think are helpful. We're going to note that Jesus confirmed his deity in this passage. 
that he confronted his doubters, and that ultimately he counseled his disciples. And I want to look at those three simple thoughts tonight in the passage as we move along, and I trust we'll be, con- we'll be encouraged today. Father, we come to you. Lord, thank you again for the wonderful morning we had, for the, just the great victories that we saw here in the service upstairs here. I know in the junior churches and, Lord, down in the Sunday schools, uh, even uh, in the bus ministry, I know that many great things were taking place. Lord, what a testimony it is to your reality and to your goodness and your grace. And Lord, what a blessing it is to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to see it firsthand. And Lord, we're grateful, Father, for just those that took the time to invite friends and family that had the courage to to do those things and ultimately saw the benefit of it. Lord, what victories we saw. And Lord, we're grateful for it. Now, Lord, bless us tonight. May our hearts be stirred as we, Father, once again are reminded that we need to praise you, for you are worthy of it. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. So in the passage, we, we note that, of course, Jesus Christ is preparing to go to Calvary. And before he enters Jerusalem for the last time, we, we see that he ultimately has his disciples go and acquisition a colt. And there he gets on the colt. And as he makes his way into the city, the people cry out to Jesus. And I mean, they're lifting up his name. They're praising him. And uh, these disciples, should I say, these Pharisees aren't as excited about that as you would have imagined them to be, seeing that they're religious men and women, so to speak. But the fact was, is that they really resented it and they didn't understand it and they had a hard time. Well, in the midst of all of this, Jesus confirmed his deity. He says, they said, Master, rebuke thy disciples. Rebuke thy disciples. I mean, they're over here praising you, Jesus. They're lifting you up. They're exalting you. Then, Jesus, you need to rebuke your disciples. I mean, he says, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The Pharisees said, Wait a second. I thought God was the one to receive glory and honor. I thought God was the one to be magnified and exalted. Wait a second. They said, Master... Rebuke thy disciples. But Jesus didn't, did he? And by not doing what the Pharisees said, Jesus was saying, I am God. He said, I'm not going to tell him to stop. This praise is rightly mine to receive and accept. I deserve the praise and the glory. Up to that point, it seems that every time someone mentioned the, 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 the fact that Jesus was the Messiah or that he was God in flesh, you're like, oh, be quiet, be quiet, keep it to yourself. And I don't fully comprehend, nor can I personally understand that 100%. But what I do know is at this point now, at this point, he's making his way into Jerusalem. They're exalting him, they're praising him, they're elevating him. And he says, that's all right, because I am Messiah, I am God, and I deserve the praise. And he would not say no to them. Earlier, while Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day, he made a statement that, well, placed his life in danger. Look, if you will, in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Let's look at verse 51. Excuse me. 
In John chapter 8, verse 51, the Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, If a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Of course, Jesus is speaking. Verse 52, Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And thou sayest, If a man keep my sayings, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets prophets are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your father, excuse me, your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his sayings. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Again, Jesus in this passage refers to himself as the I Am. Now why in the world would this statement cause such ruckus? Why would they be so angered and so wrathful and so so ready to kill him even? Well, the answer is found in the book of Exodus. They're on that mount with his shoes off and in the presence of God, The question is answered. Moses, the Bible says, said to God, Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, When I come to the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say unto me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Good question, Moses. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. Now get what just happened there. Moses is on the mound and he's preparing to go into Egypt where he's going to confront Pharaoh and ask for the release of all the children of Israel. And he says, when I talk to the children of Israel even and I tell them that God, your God, hath sent me. They're going to say, what's our God's name? And he said, you tell him I am. Can you imagine? Who sent you? What's his name? I am. Now that doesn't mean a whole lot to you and I maybe tonight, but it meant a lot to those Israelites and it meant a lot to those Jews that were living in the day of Jesus Christ. And there when Jesus stood before that multitude of disciples and he said unto them, I am. They said, you're claiming to be God. And he said, you betcha. And that's exactly why they sought to kill him. Because he put himself in the place of God himself. And he said, I am. And he is. Jesus confirmed his deity when he would not adhere to the Pharisees when they said, 
Master, rebuke thy disciples. Sorry, I can't do that. Because I am. And I'm God. But secondly, not only did Jesus confirm his deity, but Jesus confronted his doubters. Again, he goes on to say, And I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. What he goes on to say, basically, is you fellas still don't get it, do you? I am the Messiah. I am the promised one. I'm the one you read about back in Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 61. And you got to understand, guys, I'm the one you've been waiting on for all these years. I'm the one that Moses spoke about and David spoke about. I'm the one that the many prophets shared about, that a Messiah would come, that a deliverer would come. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, it says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his kingdom and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It's amazing, isn't it? His name, the one who would come, would be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. They were seeking a Messiah. They were looking for one that would ultimately ascend to the throne of David, ultimately take charge of the nations of the world and rule and reign there in Jerusalem. They would once again reestablish the nation of Israel as the first and foremost nation of all nations on the face of the earth. There was Jesus. There was Jesus saying, you guys don't get it. You just can't figure it out. You just can't wrap your mind around it. I'm the promised one. Not only am I God, but I'm the Messiah that you've been waiting for, longing for, and looking for. He confirmed his deity, he confronted his doubters, but then finally, he counseled his disciples. Again, when he said, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. He's teaching them the need to praise him. He's saying, you should praise me, because I'm worthy of it. God's entire creation praises him. You can't look around you and not see the goodness and the greatness of God, our Creator. You can't do it. It's impossible. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Very important and powerful verse. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. The Bible says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Well, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? You say, what do you mean obvious? Well, obviously you can't see them. You can't see anything, the invisible things. You can't see them. That's obvious. You say, that's as obvious as what you can see. There's some things you can, there's some things you can't. 
And he's going to say now, he says, here you go now. The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. How can that be? Visible things are not clearly seen. Hold on, he gives the answer now. He says, being understood by the things that are made. He says, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. He's saying there are things that are invisible that are clearly seen, but they're only clearly seen by the things that are visible. They're understood by the things that are made. So what he's saying is, when you look around you, when you take a a walk out into the woods, or when you take a look at God's horizons, or you look at that, that those waves coming in off the beach, and as you look at the creation of God, you cannot help but see God in them. He goes on even to say, even His eternal Godhead. He's saying that as you research creation, as you look into it, you're going to find that it reflects myself, it reflects my Son, and it reflects the Holy Spirit. It reflects the Trinity itself. And I don't have time to discuss it, and we've looked at it in the past, but all you need to do is consider the creation of the Son and its purpose and how it's broke down. You think about so many things that are divided into threes in our world, and and you consider those aspects, and you realize that the very creation attests to the Godhead. It's amazing. One of the greatest proofs of creation is the creation. The greatest proofs of God of God is what He has produced as a result of creation. So we see for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being and understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. There's not one rock on earth that doesn't cry out in testimony of God's greatness. Even the rocks give due praise to God. Now they don't verbally say it, but every time we see those great structures like uh, uh, we go over to Arizona and we, we look at the, uh, I, I know, I know the Ice Age brought it all about, uh, and it was back what, 40, 50 million years ago that the Grand Canyon was cut away and cut out. I understand what we're being told, but the reality is, is that there was a great flood, mind you, And I'll guarantee you that that had something to do with that Grand Canyon. Now, we dismiss the flood, and you can dismiss a number of archaeological finds as well as geological uh, formations. But the reality is, is that that flood took place. Have you heard the phrase, you're as dumb as a rock? You're as dumb as a rock. You ever hear that one? Or maybe the saying, you have rocks for brains? Ever hear that? Sure you have. (laughs) When a man or woman refuses to praise God, can I say this without sounding too disrespectful? They're dumber than a rock. Because even a rock will, will, even a rock knows to praise its creator and God. I mean, if a rock, a rock knows how to do that. Are you kidding me? But listen, as Americans and as humans and as, as uh, 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 human beings in this world, so many times we get so wrapped up in ourselves we fail to even recognize and realize that He deserves the glory. <clears throat> and Jesus is saying, hey, listen, fellas. I'm telling you, these should hold their peace. If my disciples don't glorify me, if they don't magnify me, if they don't praise me, then the stones would immediately cry out. 
He's saying, fellas, don't ever forget to praise me. Don't ever forget to exalt me. Don't ever forget to lift me up in the eyes of a world that is in need of me. And he goes on basically to tell them, basically, don't forget who I am. I mean, as close as we are, disciples, as much time as we spend, as often as we've eaten together and fellowship together, do not be lulled into a sense of familiarity that will breed contempt. I don't want you to ever misunderstand, gentlemen, he says, who I am and what I am. You know how tough it would have been to eat, sleep, and drink with the Master? And to maybe not become a little bit like, oh yeah, me and him, you know, we're like that. We're like that. You know. Me and, you know, Big J. We're like that. Who? Well, that's what, you know, we call it. Well, you, you what? You know, I mean, you know how easy it would be for, for familiarity to have bred contempt in them? I mean, I was there. I, 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 man, we, we lay our heads down together on the same rocks. I mean, it's like we hang out together and we, we eat together. We're, we're, we're like brothers, man. You know what? If you're not careful, you'd start to forget that. You might forget he's God. It, would have, it might have been tempting. you say, oh, you'd never forget that. I don't know. I'm not so convinced of it. I think sometimes people forget who the pastor is. I I do. I think they forget. I I think they forget who the President of the United States is. I don't care if you agree with him or not. He's still the President. We're to to honor him as king, king, so to speak. As, As a leader, he's to be honored. I understand you don't have to agree with his policies and you don't have to maybe, you know, do this or that. But listen, he's the president. I'm just saying sometimes if we get too familiar with things, we hear that we forget that we're to honor people. Sometimes I think young people get too familiar with their parents. Their parents allow that to happen. Hey, your parents aren't your friends first. They're your parents first. Parents, don't let that ever uh, uh, be misunderstood in your family. As your children are growing up, you are a parent first. They need a leader. They need a guide. They don't need a friend first. Now, as you grow a little older, I think, and the children begin to understand who you are, and especially as they, especially as they get out on their own and they recognize some of the perplexities of life, they appreciate us a little bit more or in a different way. That relationship may change from being simply, you know, a subordinate, so to speak, or in submission and subjection to being friend. But even so, that, that we have to be careful. Because there's still the, re, the reality that they are to be honored. <clears throat> now, it's a little bit different. I don't have to obey my dad. You, you know, I'm out of the home. I'm my own man. I'm my own person. But I have to honor him. You say, what if your dad told you to, to divorce your wife? Well, I tell my dad, well, go jump in a lake. <clears throat> I mean, you don't tell me what to do now. I'm a grown man. I'm out of the house. I'm living on my own, supporting myself. I answer to God. Now, I'd be a fool not to hear what he has to say after all the advice he's given me and after the wisdom that he's accrued through the years and after what God has done in his life. I'd be a fool not to listen to what he has to say. 
But I got to honor him. Because he's my daddy. He's my father. And God tells me to do that. And it's the same with other things. But I think it's, it would be easy, even with Jesus, if we're not careful, you know, just to forget sometimes who he was. And I think he's saying to his disciples, he's going, now, fellas, listen. I just want you to know you need to praise me. You need to elevate me. You need to honor me. I'm not, I'm, I understand that we spend a lot of time together and I realize that we've done a lot of things together and, and I know I've tried to train you and teach you and do all of those things, but I'm more than your master. I'm more than your teacher, your guide, and your friend. I am God. And you know what? Tonight we're to praise Him too, aren't we? That's just the reality of it. And I think sometimes we forget that, but just like David today, he got up here, this, well, actually this morning. I said, well, David, it is, and we'll make sure you get that tonight. And he said, well, when we get up there, can I say a quick word of testimony? He said, I just want to tell him how much I appreciate what the Lord did. Because it was all God. So, well, I want to hear that then. Because, see, that's what it's really about, isn't it? It's about giving God the glory. It's about exalting Him. It's about elevating Him. You know, a bus captain brings in an enormous amount of youngsters on the bus and says, Man, I worked hard. God, I did it. I did it. I did it. You know what? There's a part that, yeah, you worked hard. And you know what? You ought to be proud of what God has enabled you to do. But remember and never forget that it was God that did it through you. Make sure he gets the glory. Don't take it yourself. It's so important. I had one person recently just tell me, said, Boy, I hate when you put us up on that stage. Because, you, you, because when you put us up on that stage, I feel like I'm losing my reward. And I said, first of all, you didn't step up on that stage. I asked you to. Oh, that makes sense. I said, but he's right, though, about one thing. You put yourself in the place of the glory, that is your glory. That's it. In heaven, you won't get that glory for that at all. You'll not be rewarded for that. You got your glory. But I mean, there's nothing wrong with praising someone. There's nothing wrong with elevating someone or saying good job or patting them on the back. Those are good things. I think we ought to do more of it. I think we ought to praise not only the Lord, but I think we ought to praise others more. But in the end, he deserves all the glory. He truly does. Psalm chapter 107 verse 31 says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of of men. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. You know that in that same chapter, chapter 107, it says that four times. Four times. In one chapter. One chapter. Well, we've got to honor Christ. We've got to lift him up. We've got to exalt him. <clears throat> In Romans chapter 15, verse 11, the Bible says, And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and loud him, all you people. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 150, verse 1 through 6. Amen. <clears throat> Toward the middle of the Bible. There we go. 150, verse 1 through 6. <clears throat> it's a great chapter on praising. Notice what it says. Praise ye the Lord, 
Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament of His power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of trumpet. Praise Him with the psaltery and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise Him upon the loud cymbals. Praise Him upon the high standing cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. If that which has breath doesn't praise Him, then the rocks will cry out. And the truth is, they testify to his greatness every day. John Wesley was about 21 years of age when he ultimately went to Oxford University. He came from what would be considered a Christian home, as we know that he later found Christ on his own, working through some issues of his salvation. But he grew up in a Christian home, and he uh, he was very gifted. He was gifted with a very keen mind and even good looks. Yet in those days, he was a bit snobbish and even sarcastic. One night, something happened that set in motion a change in his heart and in his life. While he was speaking with a porter, he discovered that the poor fellow had only one coat and lived in such impoverished conditions that, well, he didn't even have a bed. Yet this particular gentleman was unusually happy, and he was filled with gratitude toward God. He had absolutely nothing, it it seemed, but it seemed that he had something that many never, ever find. Wesley, being rather immature at the time, thoughtlessly joked about the man's misfortunes. He said, and what else do you thank God for? With a touch of sarcasm. The porter simply smiled, and in the spirit of meekness, he replied, I thank him. He's given me my life and being, a heart to love him, and above all, a constant desire to serve him. Deeply moved, Wesley recognized that this man knew the true meaning of thankfulness and gratitude. It was a number of years later, in 1791, John Wesley lay on his deathbed at the age of 88, Those who gathered around him realized, after all those years, how well he had learned the lesson of praising God in every circumstance. And despite his extreme weakness, he began singing the hymn, I'll praise my maker while I've breath. John Wesley learned a very valuable principle. That no matter what, the Lord deserves the praise. It doesn't matter what our circumstance or our situation, he's worthy of our praise. And that's exactly what transpired and exactly took place that day when those disciples began to praise the Lord as he made his way into the city. The Pharisees said, Master, rebuke thy disciples. Can't do it. I'm worthy of the praise. And I want you to know he's worthy of it. Everything that was accomplished this morning is a direct result of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that's taken place over the carousel, all the victories that we've seen won, have all been a direct result of God Himself. He deserves the glory. And He is worthy of our praise. Father, we come to You. 